Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecki is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Gwilda Wiecki's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Science of Magic or endorsed in any manner by Gwilda Wiecki, Relmar McConnell Media Company, its affiliated networks, stations, or employees. Welcome to the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, a program dedicated to uncovering the unified nature of reality and humanity's ever-evolving place as truly galactic beings. For more information on the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, visit us online at www.thescienceofmagic.net. Hello, dear friends, and welcome to the Science of Magic, a program combining the science and magic of today's leading topics to co-create new solutions and facilitate unity. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be exploring Heart of the Shaman. As long as you keep trying to stuff your mind with useless facts, you'll not find the spirit world. Your heart, not your mind, is the horse you must ride my old teacher informed me, after probably the hundredth question I'd ask him that day. He was trying with little success to teach me how to enter the shamanic trance. In hindsight, instructing me was a job I didn't envy him. I was way too bright and my heart way too broken to make an easy shamanic student. I'm not the only one. As a culture, we've limped our way to the brink of destruction, riding the mind only while the heart languishes. Our hearts are so shattered, we don't even recognize they're broken. Yet the heart, not the mind, is the connection to all that is. 
How can we mend our hearts in order to join with all of our relations? Given the condition of the planet, do we have any hope of doing so in time? Where does one even begin? Our guest this hour may have some surprising answers for us. Jeff Nixa is the author of The Lost Art of Heart Navigation, a modern shaman's field manual, and founder of Great Plains Guide Company, a.k.a. Great Plains Shamanic Programs. Jeff's healing career has spanned 30-plus years as a university campus minister, board-certified hospital chaplain, pastoral counselor, massage therapist, and shamanic teacher and practitioner. Jeff earned his law degree from Lewis and Clark Law School in Portland, Oregon. He studied shamanic healing with C. Michael Smith, the Michael Harner Foundation, Kihoa uh, Healers in the Peruvian Amazon jungle and the Andes Mountains, Ogallawa Lakota Elders in South Dakota, Cree Elders in Alberta, Canada, and aspects of the Mex- Mexican Tolic and Cherokee healing systems. His website, greatplainsguide.net. Jeff, thanks for joining us on the Science of Magic. Thank you, Gwilda. Thank you for having me on your program. We should have fun today. Would, let's, let's all start out on the same page. Would you mind defining shamanism for us? Oh, boy. Yeah, thank you for that opening. Um, shamanism is a modern word that we give to a bundle of common practices shared by all our ancestors. I think a lot of people tend to think of this work as related to Native American traditions, which it is, but that's not the only scope. That We're talking about our own indigenous ancestors around the world had very similar core practices to help them get more in touch with the spirit world, with their own soul, their own heart, the spirits and living things all around them. And not just to do that as a curiosity or something entertaining, but a way of healing, a way of, first of all, getting their own lives back in order, back in balance with the web of life, but then to come more fully alive in the world and to be uh, a healer themselves and just the way they walk the earth in a good way. So it's a very broad term that can have many specific applications, but it's about those core practices shared by all our ancestors around the earth. So uh, we have just a little bit left in this segment. Um, I'm going to open it up, and then we'll probably finish it on the other side. But what is the spirit world? Yeah, <laughs> great <laughs> question. You should have a radio show. The spirit world, you know, also goes by many names. You know, it's uh, a psychologist might call it the uh, realm of the unconscious, um, uh, the dream world, uh, Carl Jung might call it. A as, pro- might- as promised, we're going to have to pick up this on the other side of a short break. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, but before we pause, I'd like to tell you about an exciting upcoming provision for those interested in spiritual evolution and personal empowerment, shamanic style. Path Home Shamanic Art School Galactic Shamanism, Art of the Ancients, Key to Tomorrow, is a series of leading-edge online affordable classes designed to guide and support you and your family during these times of transition. They'll be coming soon to the Find Your Path Home site, so stay tuned to findyourpathhome.com to be the first to experience these amazing classes. Jeff and I will return shortly, so don't you go away. You're listening to The Science of Magic, aired daily on xzbn.net. Prior episodes can always be accessed free of charge on our website, thescienceofmagic.net.
This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is Jeff Nixa, the author of The Lost Art of Heart Navigation, a modern shaman's field guide, a field manual, I'm sorry, and founder of Great Plains Guide Company. His website, greatplainsguides.net. Jeff, we were talking about the spirit world. Would you mind continuing? Yes, thank you, Gwilda, for a chance to get back to that. The spirit world is a name we give to non-ordinary reality. Uh, and depending upon who you are and your tradition, it goes by different names. Uh, a Christian would uh, call it perhaps the kingdom of God or a state of a contemplative union, say, with Christ. A uh, psychologist might call it the unconscious, that uh, part of us that operates in our lives, that drives often our decisions and our behaviors, but we're not conscious of. But it's there. It's real. Uh, a union a uh, person might call it uh, the dream world of our unconscious dream states while they're asleep. And these sound like different things, but they're all deeply related. In other words, it's the world that <clears throat> that is real, the non-ordinary realm of hidden realities that affects our lives. We just can't see them with our visual eyes or detect these with our technological instruments. But we all know it's there. It's the realm of timelessness the realm of our ancestors before us, and the realm of the future ahead of us. Um, and very much because we're so focused on human beings and our own struggles, the great natural world, the spirit behind all living things, not just human beings, our human institutions and concerns. So it's a big picture, and I'm sure other people would define it differently, but that's how I think of it. So how did you get involved in shamanic studies? I mean, you were a minister for for quite a while. <laughs> yes, and that wasn't my first career. I actually started off as a lawyer. Save and, us uh, all. My life is a case study of a person who was trying to navigate their life without what I call in the book the heart or a sense of 
my uh, inner compass, the, the heart compass or uh, navigational guidance system. So I was trying to make logical, reasonable decisions about how to live my life, what career to choose, and so on. And I did make logical decisions, but they didn't make me happy. So I wound up in law school. I graduated from law school. Uh, met a young woman who's now my wife of 28 or 29 years, uh, Regina, mm -hmm. who was in a low-paying but very rewarding work in Catholic parish ministry. And I instantly recognized in her work uh, a person whose external life was aligned to their internal heart, as opposed to the other way around where I was trying to cram my uh, various talents and interests into a specific role of, say, mm -hmm. lawyer or later chaplain, as you mentioned. And Long story short, thanks to meeting her and her helping me get more in touch with kind of my spirit side, I, I was in a, a very rewarding career in hospital chaplaincy and healthcare for about 20-some years. But even that, it was like being in the right ballpark, but not the, the right, not quite the right focus role yet. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, I uh, became a, a body worker for a while. I like using my hands. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... Um, it wasn't until I did a vision quest, a traditional shamanic vision quest, that really opened my eyes, um, <clears throat> really opened my eyes to um, my particular purpose, uh, my medicine, as we call it in shamanic work, on the earth. And boy, did things start happening quickly after that. Um, <laughs> the vision quests will do that to a person, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So I don't know how much detail you'd like me to go into, but um, it, it wasn't until I, I encountered the, the shamanic um, world of practice and, um, and uh, techniques to help me get more clear on my heart and my life path. It worked, and based on that, I completely rebuilt myself. I came home mm -hmm. from that vision quest, got on the Internet, and started canceling <laughs> through emails all my miscellaneous commitments, committees, and things that were just not aligned to who I was. And Oh, my gosh, it felt like a great release every time I would hit the send button, mm. like a great weight lifted off my heart. And the, Speaking the, of the, heart, let's, let's uh, talk about heart. Why is the heart so important in shamanic traditions? Yeah, the heart is a code word. It goes by many names as well. You might consider it the soul, the heart, our core of aliveness, our deep consciousness. But it, it refers to that part of ourselves, the innate, uh, instinctual way of knowing more of our wildness, our wild side, um, it, not about the intellect and processing data and information. And it's in our culture, we're a highly rationalistic culture, where we're trying to navigate our ways just with data and information. And the trouble with that is it can't tell us what we like. It can't tell us what we want. And so the heart, we need the heart in balance. We need the heart online and actually helping us like a compass might give a ship captain a direction. We still certainly need our minds to make decisions, inform decisions, gather all the research and so on, but we need our hearts to tell us what we love and where we're going and to navigate those decision points in our lives. How do, we get, how do we get so disconnected? Well, a lot of people will say it's uh, this the history of our modern civilization, the rationalism that came into especially European culture. Um, after the Middle Ages and the so-called Enlightenment, where with the new skills of science and observable methods, we began to be able to discern the so-called uh, superstitious from that which could be backed up by facts and repeated. 
And we got so excited about that, it's like we threw out the baby with the bathwater. We really fell in love with scientific method and process, which is wonderful, help us get to the moon and back. But in throwing out our core (laughs) and turning off the compass, so to speak, we became imbalanced in the other direction. So instead of being overly superstitious, we lost our ability um, to, to navigate instinctually through life and relationships, and we lost our connection with the earth. And that is my personal love for shamanic, is it's deeply rooted in nature and our connection to all living things. Yeah, if we, if we, if we have that connection, we wouldn't be uh, committing some of the atrocities to the planet that we are, I wouldn't think. Exactly. And yeah. that's, that's a, a theme of mine is uh, at this point in our civilization, I don't think we need more technology, more ways to continue exploiting the earth. You know, we need different people, more heart open people who are in touch with this instinctual side that's inherently connected with nature. You know, it's not going to be deciding our way out of this crisis. It's going to be remembering our animal nature, our connection to all living things, not just human beings. You know, there's there's a lot of study on the heart, at, at the physical heart at this point, and they're finding that the, the heart pumps the blood in a spiral configuration, and that spins the uh, red blood cells that have iron in it, creating an electromagnetic field around the body, just like what's around the earth, and I believe that's the connection point between all things, but if we're not tuned into our heart, we can't navigate the, that connection, is that correct? Is that what you're looking at here? I don't know much about the magnetic um, studies. I don't doubt that at all, though. It's all connected. The spirals, the energy cycles, the cycles of our lives, very much. I mean, I would be surprised if all these things are not connected. Mm, And if mm -hmm. you connect at any point, the the beautiful outcome is you connect at all the points. Wherever you (laughs) enter the web of life, consciousness, these connections you're talking about in the physical body and the electromagnetic fields and so on, it's all real. It's just that for so long we've been thinking uh, not uh, conscious of those connections. And so the right. decisions we make are incomplete. The, the data that we have to, to direct our lives, is uh, it, it's like having one eye closed or um, no instruments on your instrument panel. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, I've come from a long line of police officers and detectives, oh. and, and they are always talking about, I got a gut feeling about this. That's yeah, the heart yeah. as well, isn't it? Absolutely. Thank you for mentioning that. That's another way of thinking about heart consciousness, just on a physical level. The uh, hormones, the neurohormones that uh, we've thought about as being only in our brains are found all over the body, particularly the so-called gut, the GI system, from your throat on down to the output place in your body. (laughs) There are actually more hormones of consciousness, I forget what they're called, I would get it wrong, but then there are in the actual brain and spinal cord. So we're starting to understand the mind, so to speak, as more than just the brain and spinal column. It's the entire body and all our Mm. cells. And we Mm. receive information through our so-called gut, our our heart, our chest, our our pelvis, and uh, it informs us, not just, you know, generic feelings, but you can trust that and you can integrate that into how we make decisions and relationships. Well, you know, we've been disconnected so long. How, how do we start to reconnecting and, and learning our way? Because aren't we confused by triggers and, and past damage when we're trying to do this? Yes, very much. And this is where, um, in my approach, I'm integrating ancient and modern practices, specifically to answer your question, 
we now know <laughs> that we don't make good decisions when we're running around like madmen and madwomen reacting to problems in our life all day. And so from the ancients, for example, Eastern spirituality and the importance of meditation and just slowing down and being more mindful and breathing, <laughs> we begin to slowly, the snow globe that's shaken up in our brain all day, distracting us, we let that settle down. And slowly, slowly, we can start to reconnect with this wisdom that's been there all along, this way of knowing. And we are probably in the most excessively distracted culture of all time. And so it's a huge challenge. And one of the things I like about these shamanic approaches is not just that they're cool and, you know, interesting, but they work. They work. For example, nature-based mindfulness practices. If you just get your rear end out into real nature <laughs> and just sit down on the ground, it, it heals us. It slows us down. Slowly we start to hear the sounds around us, feel the breeze, feel the support of earth below us. Notice the other animals, the plants, the weather systems. It opens our hearts, slows down our minds, and that's healing in itself before we even start some of the so-called shamanic practices and ceremonies. So nature are you, works. in this example, are you using nature to pull you into the present so that you aren't being affected by past damage and triggers? Exactly. That's the first part. I mean, that's not the whole story, but you, <laughs> you can have the greatest self-help techniques in the world, and if you're not present in your body, <laughs> and I meet a lot of people in this work, you know, a lot of sort of astral people who are very out there, and they can see auras, and they can tell you about past lives, and their personal lives are a wreck. You know, they <laughs> exactly. can't balance their checkbook, you know, their mm -hmm. their refrigerator is a horror. They're, they're, they're out of their actual bodies and physical space. And so these shamanic practices, because they're from these ancient cultures, inherently uh, embedded in nature, is uh, the value of just getting outside. You can't um, exaggerate that. So all my programs... Um, they're different from what I call hotel shamanism programs. You know, you actually get people outside. <laughs> what a concept. Some kind of, yeah, I know. And, and it's amazing how hard it is to do. I'm uh, going to be teaching a class at Notre Dame University here in South Bend. And I literally can't get the students outside because <laughs> the time it takes to get them out of class, back into class, you know, the students who show up late, well, they know where we are. It's crazy. Oh, it's, um, it's crazy. It's great. We're going to have to pick up with this on the other okay. side of a commercial break. It is time for another short pause. Jeff and I will return to our discussion on the other side, so don't go away. We're coming to you through the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, where there's always something new and exciting. However, my personal all-time favorite is still the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell. You're listening to The Science of Magic, your resource for creative solutions in a changing world, The Science of Magic. Net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, 
at WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, a place where magic and science come together to promote enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our special guest this hour is Jeff Nixa, author of The Lost Art of Heart Navigation, a modern shaman's field manual, and founder of Great Plains Guide Company. His website, greatplainsguide.net. Jeff, we were talking about the importance of being able to get back out into nature, um, and yet our lifestyles are with our faces stuck in a tablet or a cell phone our children don't even know which where the sun comes up you know we've gotten a long way away from it what do you see as the ramifications of that and how can we turn that around yeah i think the ramifications are well known um the 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 phrase nature deficit disorder (laughs) you know to describe the impact of on our children and and then all of us are being disconnected from nature and it's not just about being out in the weather and the calming effect on nature but you know when we cut ourselves off from that we forget our debt and that our life our food our everything comes from nature so we can live as if that stuff we flush down the toilet or rinse down the sink or put in our garbage bins doesn't really matter it goes away and uh it's been, I'm a big outdoorsy guy, and one of the striking things about doing a wilderness trip, paddling or camping, is you know where your poop goes. <laughs> you know, you know where, where your water comes from, and you see your impact immediately when you're out there in nature alone, and you need to go to the bathroom, or you need to dump something on the ground, or you need to find water, and so on. It's, it's painfully obvious that we leave impacts, and yet back in town, you go to the bathroom, you do your thing, you flush the toilet, and it magically disappears. And the things we pour into our sinks and into our toilets and so on, you know, it, my point is our consciousness, our awareness of our impact is almost nothing because we don't see or have to deal with our personal output. And then if you magnify that by the volume of things our towns, our cities, our country produces, it's really, I mean, it's, it's just jaw-dropping, the impact that we have that we're unconscious of. So we can imagine that driving our cars and so on has no impact, and we can be skeptical about climate change and so on because we're not informed even about our own impact. It's, it's a scary thing to watch. I, um, for years, have uh, every year done an annual solo backpacking trip, and I took my children when they were very young. Um, yeah. And there's when, you know, I go 10, 12 days, and we'd have what we carried. Yeah. And so you, you suddenly realize, oh, well, my food doesn't just pop up out of nowhere uh, at <laughs> yeah. McDonald's. Uh, yeah. And how much you really don't need when you spend 10 days carrying everything you need on your back. And my kids grew up in a balanced way, and I, of course, taught wilderness programs as well. And the required reading was How to in the Woods, okay? It's a great book. But uh, the point you're making is so profound because when we get away from the earth, we're getting away from our mother that supports us, and we abuse it, and where is it taking us? 
Yes, and a beautiful point you make about only what we can carry on our back. You know, imagine that we could only have as possessions what we could physically carry, like our ancestors, right? And some of the more modern surviving communities, like the Lakota people or the Cree nations in Canada, is the traditions, these clever, brilliant ways of literally hauling their house with them with the help of just a dog or later a horse, a teepee, some poles, some buffalo hides, some things for carrying water and food, and that was it. I mean, oh my gosh. And how far we've come from that today where we have to pay for self-storage units outside of town <laughs> to hold all the crap that, yeah, to hold know, our fake that we can't fit into our house, you know, and how many yeah. boats. And, it's, and again, because we don't have to um, deal with the physical, we don't have to carry that stuff around. We just buy a bigger pickup and a bigger trailer to haul it and so on. So uh, it's another reason that I have fallen in love deeply with these indigenous traditions is not just actually the spiritual gifts and tools they bring to us, but the lifestyle ways of simple living and loving that and, and really experiencing the joy of only having what you can carry, so mm. to speak. You know, um, many of my teachers said in one way or another that everything you own actually owns a piece of you. And yes. <laughs> if you look at yes. it that way, it certainly brings things into perspective. How can yes. we practice shamanism without committing the dreaded sin of cultural appropriation? Oh, thank you for that question. Yeah, I just want to say a quick word about that. You know, it's it's difficult being, I'm a middle-aged white guy, you know, and shamanism and we, we owe a huge debt, an unpaid debt, to our Native American brothers and sisters in both North and South America, and the words that they've used to describe their relationship with us, it get pretty painful to hear, like genocide <laughs> and on down. Mm -hmm. And so I go to shamanic training sessions, you know, and there's, you know, well-fed white people showing up with eagle feathers in their hair and jaguar tooth necklaces, you know, wearing regalia that's not theirs. Mm -hmm. and teaching secret, sacred ceremonies and charging fees for things that aren't of their tradition. And this is what makes Native American people crazy, mm -hmm. some of them. You know, it's like, you came, you told us we weren't godly enough, you told us we were too primitive, we were too uncivilized, and yet now <laughs> you're taking our sacred ceremonies and mimicking our regalia and so on and selling that. So that's the worst case. So it's, it's difficult. Um, I have done what I can to learn from Native traditions and cultures that have been willing to talk to me and work with people who are non-Indian. God bless them, the Lakota, uh, the Oglala Lakota people in South Dakota are one example of a community that's made a conscious decision to allow in people with open hearts to learn some of their ways, not Extreme, in all cases. Yeah, extremely generous. They're just extremely generous people. It's beautiful to see. And also the Cree people that I met in, uh, in Canada, not all of them, but some of their spiritual elders. For example, I was invited to be a supporter at a Sundance outside of Calgary. Mm -hmm. It was an unbelievable uh, gift and opportunity to see an authentic surviving community practicing their, their core sacred practices in out in the mountains, I mean, I, I can't begin to describe the power of that integrated front to back, top to bottom, children to elders, nature to the star people, you name it. So um, it's difficult, but if you're gentle and open-hearted, you know, it, it's not. <laughs> One time on, on Pine Ridge Innervation, I was talking to a Lakota man, a young guy, about, you know, how is it for all these white people to be showing up? 
trying to, and he held up his hand right in the middle of my question and said, no, 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 we don't think like that. We don't think white or Indian. You know, you're my brother. Mm-hmm. You're my mm-hmm. brother. And, and boy, isn't you know, that where we have part? to get back to? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Stop thinking even about racial distinctions because there's no solution there <laughs> given our well, we got Yeah, we got the same mom and we got the same dad if you go back far enough. <laughs> exactly. Mom and nature. Exactly. <laughs> you got it. So tell me, isn't it painful work to reconnect to the heart when we've been so out of touch? I mean, isn't there a lot of emotional stuff we have to move through in order to do that? Yes, yes. And um, that's, that's, I've I'm, I'm been blessed with good teachers who have told us right off the bat, you know, shamanism is not just about going on cool uh, uh, recreational shamanic journeys into esoteric realms. I mean, that doesn't do anything. Uh, you, it's a journey. It involves a journey downwards into your own heart where you have mm-hmm. to address and deal with your own woundedness, of course. If you're going to claim to be some kind of shamanic practitioner, you better darn well have first spent a lot of time on your own knees and done a lot of your own work. Otherwise, you're just making a fool of yourself and, at worst, bringing harm, you know, unhealed healers out there. So um, the, the teachers I've had and the practices I've learned are very much initially all about helping us come uh, to meet our dragons, so to speak, those wounded parts of ourselves that we'd rather not think about or know about, what Joseph Campbell calls that damn thing in the cave, <laughs> you know, in our past or art, that yeah. we would just as well walk around that cave and go to Let's the happy just kind part. of skirt, skirt out on the other, or other Exactly. And, and yet in shamanism, the practitioner is the tool. So you have to hone the tool, right? Yes, thank you. Yeah, one common image of the shamanic practitioner is of a hollow bone, for the great spirit that comes from old fool's crow, a Lakota elder. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the idea is that in, in, sham, in shamanic work, unlike modern medicine, say, or psychotherapy, where the doctor is the healer or the therapist is the healer, in shamanic work, the great spirit is the healer. And the mm-hmm. practitioner is simply trying to be an effective conduit or hollow bone, so to speak, for healing spirit, information, uh, wisdom, guidance to come through you. So the emphasis as a practitioner is making darn sure our bone, so to speak, is cleaned out and stays cleaned out from all our own issues, our fears, our uh, graspings and so on that can just get in the way. You know, and I tell people in shamanic work, it's not your show and it's not my show. It's the great spirit show. And, and this, this I think, is, is something is so misunderstood is that um, a lot of people I've noticed when they come to be trained shamanically think if they just learn the right technique, uh, then they'll have it. They'll, they'll have perfected yeah. it and they'll be good. And it's not about technique. The technique is the horse to get you to the goal. Yes, yes, you're right. I mean, techniques are just tools and, and they, they can mean nothing if your heart is not open. I think you said something earlier about that. And, and, uh, and if you're not ready so it's, um, yeah, I think that's all I can say about that at the moment. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, none of us have arrived. All of us still have issues. How do we, is there a method to set aside your issues in order to be effective as a shaman? Yeah. Um, you know, the great, <clears throat> the spirit, the creator is very patient and very um, generous. So a little sincerity in this work goes a long way. For example, learning to do a shamanic journey, 
oh my God, when I first started doing this in my training, I thought, I can never do this. I'll never be a shamanic practitioner. I can't even, I'm not even seeing things, so to speak, visions, images. And I thought I was a complete failure. But I wanted to learn. And so I got a little glimpse here and there or a subtle little feeling and then the journey was over and the drumming stopped and everyone else was talking about how amazing their journeys were and the different realms they'd traveled to and I was about ready to just get in my car and drive home. <laughs> and um, Sandra Ingerman has this beautiful statement. She's taught shamanic healing and journeying for over 35 years to literally tens of thousands of people. And she says, I've never met anyone who could not learn to do a shamanic journey well. She says, however, I have met many people that took several times of trying before anything seemed to happen. So the point being, um, if you bring a little sincerity, an open heart, a desire to learn these ways, and it's not about the techniques. Usually the problem is just getting our own thinking, judging self out of the way. Because you can basically turn that stuff off in the shamanic journey and only gets in the way to the extent where we're trying to analyze or perform or strive after some particular outcome. It doesn't work that way. It comes to you like a breeze or a wind or uh, a cloud formation might come over the horizon. You have no idea what's coming over the horizon. If you're open to it, though, then things start to happen. So it's, it's, a, it's very difficult for a guy like me who's had a whole lot of traditional Western education. I have two doctoral degrees, and that was like the worst thing in terms of my mind getting in the way when I first started doing shamanic practice. I had to basically set all that aside gently, not to abandon it. I'd certainly well, come in later on. We'll need, we'll need to go deeper into the shamanic journey on the other side of this commercial break. Jeff and I will be back shortly, so don't leave us now. This is the Science of Magic your resource to altruistic professionals of science and the esoteric working to create common ground for the betterment of our world. Join our email family to receive our amazing topic-driven episode collections at thescienceofmagic.net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. 
Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. What's up in your world? I always love hearing from my listeners. Email me at info at thescienceofmagic.net and suggest a topic that's on your mind. You're probably not the only one interested. And speaking of gifted people of service, our guest this hour is Jeff Nixa. He's the author of The Lost Art of Heart Navigation, a Modern Shaman's Field Manual, and founder of Great Plains Guide Company. His website, greatplainsguide.net. Jeff, we were talking about the shamanic journey trance, and um, I think it's it's greatly misunderstood. Would you mind uh, describing it a little more for us? What is it really? Yeah, thank you, Gwil. That's a great question. There is a lot of misunderstanding. Um, all the, the when you think of shamanic practice, the drumming, the dancing, the rattles, all of that. These are just clever ways that our ancestors figured out to shift our consciousness in a way we moderns might say is out of the head. In other words, getting out of our busy thoughts and distractions, getting back into the body, the present moment, and so on, so that you can become more aware of the subtle, invisible guidances, visions, uh, longings of the heart. So a shamanic journey is a structured way to, first of all, get your attention out of your busy thinking mind into the present moment, and the monotonous beat, say, of the drum or the rattle <clears throat> helps, helps do that. And then slowly, <clears throat> excuse me, if you just pay attention, and if you have a specific intent, that's very important, setting an intent for the journey. What is it that you're seeking? What are you asking for help with to be shown? And you, uh, in initial stages, learning the process, there's a, a, it can be a rather structured way to imagine, say, going down a tunnel or into a passageway, the actual details are not important. The, the, the point is to use the imagination as a bridge to, to get to this more deeper way of knowing that we all have but have often lost connection with or never knew about in the first place. A, a question that often comes up in journeying, especially for new people, if they have had uh, quite a vision, so to speak, or had things happen, <laughs> when they come back and open their eyes blinking in daylight, it's like, did I make all that up? <laughs> mm-hmm. and I asked my first teacher that, Michael Smith, and he smiled and he says, yes, you're making it Yes, of that. course you did. Uh-huh. <laughs> but he said, you're not making it all up. And I thought that was brilliant. What he meant by that was, yes, we're using our intentional creative mind to create imagery, right, to link with the so-called spiritual realms, but things come back to you then across the bridge that you don't make up. In my book, I give two examples of journeys I did, uh, one just kind of a routine one to help me with planning um, a, a workshop I was teaching, and I was getting stuck on what to do. And then later on in the book, a more personal journey, where I used shamanic journeying to help make a very important decision about my dying mother. I was her primary caregiver, and I had to make a very difficult decision about life support, about hospice, and so on, and how I actually used shamanic journeying to guide me to a very deep and lovely um, decision, basically, about what to do at a key decision point in her care. 
And to this day, I've never had a second thought about the decision I made with the help of my spirits. And, and it's not just my spirits. We're, we're connecting with the creator, you know, right? the, the consciousness behind all living things. So it was the loving consciousness that supported my mother's life and all my family members and my sister, my mother's deceased parents and so on. So in the journey, you're able to plug in, so to speak, a, uh, a headset <laughs> to this living consciousness that is concerned with the well-being of all created things. And you use That's your intention piece, to just get it? clear on that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, how, how, does it relate, how does it relate to a dream? You know, like a sleeping yeah. dream. Yeah, thank you. A dream is more passive. You know, you go to sleep, and if you remember your dreams, things happen. You see things, you feel things, you're frightened by things, you're excited by things. But you're sort of like in a movie theater, maybe, or participating in the dream, but you typically don't have a lot of control over it. It washes over you, and you wake up and go, whoa. (laughs) A shamanic journey is not that. A shamanic journey is very intentional. And in my book, I say a skilled shamanic practitioner is running the journey. You, you start, first of all, by setting a very clear intent. And a shamanic practitioner during a journey is very much like a skilled um, um, journeyman, a carpenter, or a bricklayer, or a neurosurgeon, who, you know, they're in, they do their work, they get out, and they leave. They're not messing around in there. It's a very specific effort and time, and they know when they're done. In other words, they're not just kind of... Uh, lollygagging around in the so-called spirit world, going on journeys for entertainment. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. a big difference between a dream and a shamanic journey, is it's a healing uh, practice. You're there generally helping someone else. So it's not about you. You're getting information or insights or connections that you bring back, the shamanic journey or brings back for the benefit of the other person. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by, yeah, it does. What do you mean by a shamanic vision for your life, and how does one get one? Yes, um, that would be a more personal application. And the many years of the first part of my training was simply trying to get my own act together <laughs> after <laughs> many years of being a gypsy in various professions. Um, I'm sorry, could you restate your question? Because I want to use your words in my answer. Sure. So, what do you mean by a shamanic vision for your life? Oh, yes. Thank you. So Mm -hmm. um, one of the really cool, forgotten, but time-tested practices of traditional shamanic cultures was a uh, process called the vision quest that many of your listeners have heard about. The Lakota word for that is a hamblachea. And it was a process initially reserved for adolescent young men who were about to begin their adult life of service to the tribe, the community, about to be a man, about to be married, about to be a father, but who may have not had any idea what his particular role was. And so the, the, the community understood that this was a key point where the, the young man had to get it right and understand their relationship to community and their responsibility. So the young man would go up on the hill, so to speak, or out in the desert or into the woods and fast for up to four days and four nights completely from food or water and set their intent to set a prayer asking great spirit for a vision for their life you know very specific like why am i here what is my purpose in this earth really other than just buying stuff and using up carbon and oxygen and then you know dying it's it's sort of our sad modern culture but in traditional cultures, you, every person in that community had a specific role, whether it was the hunter, the healer, the bone setter, the herbalist, 
the elder grandmother, the wisdom teacher, and so on. Do you think and we so come? Do you think we come um, like with a predestined purpose or vision? I don't know. I honestly don't know. What I do know is that in my life, I use these practices to get extremely clear on why I personally am here on this earth. I didn't know before. I was 45 years old. And after my first vision quest, the vision that came to me was, <laughs> was one word. It was simplify. So the first phase was me getting all, clearing the deck, so to speak, of all my distractions and committees and things that were not important. And then in the months to follow in my apprenticeship, using these practices to get very clear on my so-called medicine. And I'll tell you the little phrase that I came up with after much work. I distilled all my work down, and this is symbolic language. But for me, my vision was um, helping people find their way in the dark using all my powers. Mm. And I've got mm. a lot of powers. I've got yeah. a lot of powers as a white male, educated person, so on and so on. And we all have a lot of powers, though. And so it's marshalling all our particular unique gifts, trainings, and talents, but putting them at service. You know, it's not just about getting rich or getting happy. Ultimately, we must turn our lives over, back over to the Creator, and, and be of use, be a healer, be whatever, a teacher, an artist, a radio host, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, I assume you enjoy what you're doing, and you're very good at it. That's an example of using your medicine. So, so the vision, it would appear... Sorry, it, go ahead. It would appear that we've gone full circle, that you can't find the vision for your life if you're not connected with your heart where the desire for the vision resides. Exactly. And you're not pulling the vision out of thin air or having to guess at it. It's, it's a blend of, of, say, strong suggestions and perhaps visual visions or feelings. Everybody journeys differently. Some people have visual experiences. Some people have more kinesthetic experiences. Some people, like Sandra Ingerman, have audio experiences. She doesn't see much at all, but she hears, hears the invitations of spirit for her life and when she's working for other clients. So whatever your mode is, and that's part of the learning process, is discovering your way of journeying is you integrate what comes to you with what you already have, of course. You know, what are your innate gifts? What are you good at? What do you love? What brings you alive? And you assemble all that into a clear sense of your so-called medicine in the old-time sense. You know, what's your unique gift? What are you doing here on this planet? And when you know that, you have great power. I talk about that in my book. So life still comes at you, and bills need to be paid, and you get a flat tire, and the kid has laryngitis, and the cat get sick in the morning, but it doesn't throw you like before because mm -hmm. you're living a vital life. You're living a life of aliveness and power, which means a life of more resilience. The things come at you. They don't flip your boat. It's like a strong gust of wind just hits you, and it doesn't ruin your life. You just steer back into the wind, and then it hits you again, and it doesn't ruin your life. You just steer back into the wind. Mm. Beautiful so that's guidance. the beauty of this process. Well, we're, unfortunately, you know, while shamanism works out of time, unfortunately, in ordinary <laughs> reality, we're uh, out of okay. it. <laughs> Jeff, uh, thanks okay. so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Gwil. It's been a real pleasure and a great opportunity for me as a new author. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Our guest this hour has been Jeff Nixa, the author of The Lost Art of Heart Navigation, a modern shaman's field manual and founder of Great Plains Guide Company. His uh, website is greatplainsguide.net. This has been the Science of Magic. Past episodes are always available to our listeners free of charge at thescienceofmagic.net. Until next time, dear ones, may you be blessed with knowledge and comforted with love as you navigate with your heart. <laughs>